welcome to the Alternative to Rehab podcast with your host, Dave Cooper. In this next section, I'm going to talk about developing relationships with your disciples. And again, we're going to read a section from the book and then I'm going to speak to it. Um, This is going to be a smaller section than usual because we're getting into the real heart of the method, if you like, the approach. And so we need to take our time. And so I'm going to read a small section here, uh, following on from the other parts that I've read. And this is called Developing Relationships with Your Disciples. So I start with a quote from Romans 8, verse 7, which is very important to me. Um, Most people who work with me will know that I'm forever quoting uh, Romans. It's probably my favourite book in the Bible. Uh, And it's where a lot of this stuff is really elucidated and written, often in plain black and white, by Paul. Um, And it's incredible once you understand it. So Romans 8 verse 7, The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. What a powerful, powerful verse that is. Once you understand and get to grips with this idea, it really will help you to make progress. So, let's read from the book. Modern research, uh, IFS as as, uh, it's called, uh, you, you will know this as internal family systems. I've spoken about it in other parts of the book. So, modern research, IFS, is catching up with the Bible and is showing us that we all have this adult or core self within us. The research has shown that these adult resources are consistent across all colours and creeds, gender, gen and even age. Uh, As Christians we know that God breathed his spirit on the dust when he created Adam. So the spirit of God is living in everyone. It is this spirit that stands above circumstance and all the things that life throws at you. Whereas your parts are constructed through circumstances. Jesus, who came from heaven, approached the disciples who were oppressed by life. The idea of the multifaceted self, or parts, is not new. Freud said that uh, they were demons and should be removed or ignored. Carl Jung first started talking about the way we have parts over 100 years ago. He called them complexes and worked quite intensively with them for a few years. Psychosynthesis is a therapeutic approach developed by Roberto Asagioli, who said in 1910 that Freud's view of the human being was limited. In other words, it did not include the complexity of the multifaceted self. After working with hundreds of patients, Dr. Richard Swartz found that everyone, not just Christians, had this real or true self within them. And even more amazing that we can access it without adding anything further to ourselves. Rather than learning or receiving anything from anyone, it's much more about rebalancing our parts until they are back doing what they should and acknowledging the leader, which is the grown-up. Now, through many years of research, he discovered what he calls the eight C's of self. When listening to these as a Christian, it was obvious to me that these were descriptions of what the Bible calls our Christ 
likeness or Christ-mindedness. The eight that have been identified through neuroscience are calm, clear, curious, creative, confident, courageous, compassionate, and connected. Now, I love this, especially because the research was not done from a Christian perspective. But doesn't it sound like Jesus? You also need to learn that your parts act in a way that opposes your adult. Just as Paul wrote in his letter that we've quoted at the top, Romans 8 verse 7, when you are triggered, your brain takes over and your feeling, thinking, talking and behaviour shift from a spiritual perspective, which puts God first, to a worldly perspective that puts you first. As the table below shows, and I uh, go through the, the eight now, um, and show what they become as they drop out and the brain takes over. So calm often becomes crazy or panicky, uh, clear becomes confused, curious becomes certain, creative becomes concrete, confident becomes obviously unconfident, courageous becomes often cowardly, compassionate becomes cold or distant, isolated, Connected becomes obviously disconnected. Now, these are the feelings or states to look for in yourself that tell you that something has triggered you by appearing to be a threat. When your brain perceives a threat, expect the thoughts and suggestions that go with this to be from the parts perspective. In therapy, I use three ideas that describe the typical attitude of your parts or, you know, you might call it things to look out for. And the, these three strategies uh, appear um, as um, the following. So, number one, they're activated by threat. Um, in other words, the parts react when they believe you to be threatened. So looking for what might be the source of the threat can be a useful start or way forwards. They always uh, act in an immediate sense. All the solutions, all the strategies will be immediate. And what we mean by that is that there's no timeline in the brain. It's always about now. Even if the consequences in the future will be disastrous, the brain will still offer you an immediate fix. And you can see from that straight away, you know, some of the disastrous things that we do when we are threatened. Radical is another one. They tend to go for extreme suggestions, but not always. Look out for, you know, emergency or out of proportion suggestions coming from your brain. The reason for this is that they, they tend to be very young. And so, you know, the typical example I give is, say, uh, a youngster learns that an adult isn't to be trusted, right? What do they do? Well, they say, right, that's it. I'm not trusting any adults from now on. That is a radical suggestion. And it's that kind of suggestion you often get from your brain, really out of proportion. The next one is naive. Um, and I guess that um, connects with the idea of radical. In other words, your parts, which tend to be young, often below 10 years of age, they will tend to be offering you very childlike solutions, 
not grown-up solutions. They don't have your wisdom. Don't expect that. So look for immediate, radical, and naive. The following is a general list of the type of changes you will experience during these triggered moments. You may feel panicky or crazy, not caring about the consequences. Uh, in, in psychology, this is often called impulse control. Confused, you know, not knowing what to do next. You might be in two or three minds about something. Certain, uh, you will tend to feel like you've got a real agenda. Um, this, is, this can be confusing, and it starts with the idea that it's your core state is called curiosity. And they had to find a word that began with C. But if you think about it as open-minded, that's a probably a more accurate description of the state. Open-minded, you know, when you go into a conversation without a real set of ideas as to how that conversation should um, emerge or, or uh, evolve. When you're open-minded, and when your open-mindedness drops out, you will find that you become more certain. Now, your parts always have an agenda. They know what needs to happen, and it needs to happen now. So that's what we mean by certain or having an agenda. Concrete. Again, seeing only one way forwards. Uh, and we all know what this state feels like when um, we, we feel like we've just got to get our way over something. Unconfident, um, obviously not believing anything will work out for you. Uh, this is often um, uh, associated with what we, in psychology, what we call um, regressive language. Oh, nothing ever works out for me. Oh, you always talk like that. You know, when you talk in those sort of infinity terms, nothing ever works out for me. You know, um, things always go wrong for me. You know, that kind of stuff, which is very childlike. You'll, you'll find yourself maybe talking like that. Cowardly, uh, obviously wanting to avoid difficulty. This often emerges, uh, or the way people describe it, is often, uh, oh, I hate conflict. You'll hear people say that a lot. Oh, I don't like conflict. Well, what's happening is that courageous part of them is dropping out and the brain is taking over with a, um, a cowardly part or a part that uh, can't stand the idea of, um, of conflicts. So, cold, not caring about others. In other words, not compassionate. Um, now this goes with the idea of being isolated. It goes with the idea of uh, living as uh, we would learn from the prodigal, that you know, the story of the prodigal living in the dead world. You know, when the son returns and the father says, My, this son of mine was dead and is now alive again. You know, this idea that coldness is to do with deadness. So not caring about others, you'll find yourself um, acting very selfishly, um, very sort of, you know, it's all about you. And it can come in a, a sort of a, a panicky sense of just, you know, panicking and just taking what you need, or it can come in an egotistical sense of it's all about me, you know, everybody listen to me. Disconnected, um, having no feeling for others suffering or um, 
feeling that you're part of a family, part of a group, part of a team, part of a community, part of a culture, you, you won't feel like you're, um, you're part of that. So think now about the disciples. They were very different from each other. Like the parts that we're talking about here, these, these idea of these changes. Some were sword-carrying zealots. Some were fishermen. Some were brothers. All had very different opinions about how to live out their destiny and to call on the kingdom of God. They all needed approaching differently. They all needed handling individually. When you study how the Lord dealt with them, look for the eight C's consistently produced by Jesus. And when he had finally showed them that he would lay down his very life for them, not because he was forced to, but by his choice, they came into incredible harmony, into such a unity that it changed the world. Amazing, right? Another important factor here is that it is Another important factor here that is being modelled by the Lord is the way that they all wanted to serve him. They all wanted the best for him. When Peter cut off the ear of Malchus in John 18 verse 10, he was not doing the will of the Lord, but he was trying to help. He was doing what he thought was best for the Lord and for the kingdom. Now it's so important that we acknowledge this this idea about our parts, so that we don't create disharmony by being angry, ashamed, or fragmented around our parts' behaviour. In other words, that we should always remember that your parts are trying to help, right? Important, they're not trying to stick a spanner in the works, they're not trying to screw up your life, they're not going, trying to um, destroy everything. Um, they're trying to help in the, the way that they can. And one of the main ways you can develop empathy for your parts is to remember that they are all you. Now, they may be younger versions of you. They may not have your wisdom or your understanding. They may not have your beliefs even. But they are all part of you, carrying your memories and your experiences. They also carry God's spirit in the same way you do. Remember, they all try to make good things happen. It is from this perspective and understanding that we can again approach Jesus' prayer in John 17. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. So what do I want to say about this? Well, obviously I've tried to be as concise as possible in the book so that you can read it again and study it and so on. But when I want to speak to this stuff, um, I mean, it, there is so much to say about how we use this knowledge of our uh, flesh and our spirit and how we understand, particularly once we get Romans and we start in chapter 1, but around 6, 7 and 8, it's just fascinating. And the sort of things that Paul writes about. I think what I'll do with this today is to maybe take you through a, an exercise that I do with my clients around understanding their parts 
and particularly um, how to make a start uh, when, you, when you want to develop a better relationship with your parts. Well, there's two things um, that you need to do uh, and, they're, and they're both very much connected. The first one is that when you want to think about your parts, when you want to uh, develop a better relationship, just understand who they are, what they are, and when they were constructed and so on. You have to do this from what we call the observer position. Now I'll talk about this in another section of the book, but what do we mean by this? Particularly, we, we mean that you've got to be in the right state. And when you're in the right state, you will notice that all of those C's come back, um, even though you don't feel them in the moment, but you're observing them from this position. Now, I know this seems a little tricky at the moment, but imagine just stepping back. Just imagine, you know, things are going wrong, you're very angry or you're frightened or you're nervous, you're angry, whatever's going on with your state. I want you to just imagine stepping back from that and observing yourself. And just asking yourself this question, what's going on with me at the moment? How are things going at the moment? How do I feel and so on? And you will notice if you've got the presence of mind to do this, which you won't always have. Sometimes the parts are taking over too much. It's what we call in, in therapy, overwhelm, when there's just no adult presence. But if you have the presence of mind to do it, which you often will, I want you to look at this part, look at yourself behaving this way, thinking this way, acting this way, talking this way, and ask yourself, what's going on with me? Now, notice what you've done there. When you say that, when you even ask a question like that, what's going on with me at the moment? Notice that that is being asked from a curious position. In other words, you're interested. And curiosity is one of the biggest or most important um, aspects of these eight um, resources. And I say that because it, we use it the most in therapy, because it's the one that you immediately access when you ask a question. So say you ask a question, oh, what's going on with me at the moment? Or it's happening again, what's going on? As soon as you do that, notice that you're becoming interested. And so straight away, you're stepping back or accessing more the resource of curiosity and the adult presence, or what we call in Christianity, the Christ-mindedness, tends to uh, grow in your, um, in, your, um, in your conscience, in your consciousness, right? So what happens, what we're looking out for is if that doesn't happen. So let's say, I mean, I'm just using an example now. Let's say that you get very angry at times, right? And you notice, here it is, my blood's boiling again, I'm really angry, and you say, oh, I know what to do, I've got to take this observer position, okay? So then you, you start to step back and look at yourself. And what you feel is not curiosity, but judgment. What you feel is, um, oh, I'm doing it again, look, I'm getting all angry again, it's no good, I, you know, this is not working, whatever you might feel, that is judgmental, then, what you've done 
is you've noticed another part of you that was constructed judging the first part. And how do you know? Well, you know because you're not feeling compassionate, you're not feeling connected, you're not feeling confident, you're not feeling calm, you're not feeling uh, curious. You're just feeling certain, right? Well, parts are certain. So what you're saying is that when you observe this part or this state of you, that you should do it from a compassionate place. And if you're not, then that is not your Christ consciousness. That is not your Christ-mindedness. Because when you do it uh, from that position, you're always compassionate. So what do you do if you, as people often do when they first start this stuff, when they step back, they notice that they're being very judgmental of the part. Because often what you'll find is that you hate your parts or you're angry at your parts, or you're embarrassed or ashamed of your parts. And so the very first time you try this, or often in the beginning, you will really be activating another part. And that other part is the part that hates the first part. Now, this is not uncommon. It's absolutely what I would expect. Uh, this is tricky stuff, right? But I want to remind you of something now. I want to remind you that the disciples didn't like each other. If you read the Bible, there are plenty of um, indications that they were not happy with each other. They often uh, were grumbling at each other and Jesus says, what were you grumbling about on the road? You know, I mean, just think about, just for maybe the best example, um, might be Levi who became Matthew. Um, he was a tax collector. And so his idea of how to get by in this time when they were um, occupied by the Romans, oppressed by the church, what, did, what was his idea? Well, his idea was, I'll become a tax collector, I'll work with the Romans. That's the best way to get through this. You know, if you can't beat them, join them type of thing. Now, when Jesus called him to be a disciple, the other disciples would have hated him. I guarantee you, they would not have liked him. Um, in fact, some of the zealots might have even considered doing away with him. You know, this is how serious it was, right? But remember that when Jesus called Levi, he did it, it was the most public calling. He did it in front of the Pharisees. He did it in front of crowds. Uh, and this was an amazing thing. When he walked past you know, the fishing boats, he just said, follow me, and they followed him, and it wasn't very public. But when he called Levi, it was really public. So understand that your parts, when they don't like each other, when they are angry with each other or whatever, judgmental of each other, that is absolutely what we expect. And what I want you to do is I want you to step back again. So this is not too difficult, once you get the hang of it, you're basically looking at a part of you acting out in a certain state. And then you step back again and you're looking at another part of you who is judging the first part. Does that make sense? But you keep stepping back until you see all of them, whether there's two of them, one of them or three of them, whatever it is, you're stepping back until you, you feel compassionate about them, until you feel connected to them. 
Only when you feel like this, only when you've achieved that state, can you say that you're fully observing or you've achieved your Christ-mindedness um, or your Christ-consciousness or your, um, your true observer position. So how do we, you know, this, I'm giving you a clue here how you start working with this. It takes time. I want you to be patient with yourself. I want you to go at your own pace. Remember, this is not psychiatry. It's not psychology. Uh, what I say to my clients is, look, think of yourself more of yourself as an explorer rather than a detective. We're not trying to get to the root or the cause of anything. All we're doing is we are exploring the multifaceted nature of ourself. And also remind yourself if it gets a little bit kind of, um, you know, you, you're tempted to step back into that medical place. Always remind yourself that neuroscience is proving that this is normal, that there's nothing abnormal about this, that, that this, is, this is not a mental illness, it's not an evil spirit, it's just you. So let's have a look at the exercise that I often take people through. And maybe I'll run through this with you. What I want you to do is I want you to get a... A, a paper and a pencil, maybe a pad you've got, and then on the left side of the page with words underneath each other, I want you to make a list going down the page, and the list is this, calm, clear, curious, creative, confident, courageous, connected, and compassionate. Now, obviously those are the eight C's, they are the states, uh, the, they're the resources that represent the state that uh, we would be in uh, when we are in our Christ consciousness. Good. Now, when you've done that, what I want you to do is I want you to think about your triggering. Now, obviously, there are many different triggers, but I want you to think about the most obvious one. Always start with that. Always start with the part that turns up a lot. You know, if you often get angry or if you often get anxious. You know, these are the, you know, the sort of parts that, that turn up maybe every day or every other day, you know, when things happen. And, of course, you'll notice that th these parts, they turn up the same way all the time. Right? So, what I want you to ask yourself is when this part shows up so again this is a brave thing to do because I'm asking you to go back to a time when was the last time this happened now it could have been today but it could have been a week ago I don't know and of course you've got to watch out for how your state changes like when you remember the last time you became really anxious or really angry you will sometimes find that the state starts to come back. In other words, just thinking about that time actually triggers the part itself again. And there's a very good reason for this. And again, remember, this is just normal, right? Take your time with it. The reason that parts are often triggered just by the thinking about the, you know, this thing as a memory is because there is no timeline in this part of the brain. What does that mean? It means that this part of the brain, which is very, very simple, 
I mean, its technical name is the reptilian brain. I mean, that's how simple it is. I often say to people, you know, think lizard, and you're kind of though. It only has about four different reactions. So the, re the reason it has no timeline is because of how simple it is, right? I don't think lizards have much memory. So in other words, it doesn't have a past, a present, and a future in its view. Uh, the, the neuroscientists put it this way, they say the amygdala can't tell the time. I often think of it as, if, if this part of your brain had a watch on, the watch would simply say no. Every time it read the watch, it would just say it's no. So, what does that mean? It means that when you think about something, even if it happened a week ago or a year ago, to your brain or to this part of your brain, it doesn't really make that big a distinction between it actually happening and you just think about it happening. Right? Because there's no timeline. So you see, what you've done is you've, you've, you've put on your mental screen in your upper room this event, you've tr you know, which is what a memory is. And your brain's gone, oh, it's happening again, and you've started to trigger yourself. So don't worry if you start to actually feel this triggered state coming on again. That's good practice, as long as it doesn't overwhelm you. And if it starts to overwhelm you, the, um, the, the method, the approach, is simply to think about something else. Just think about what you're having for tea tonight and the, the, the part will, will step back, okay? But for most of us, if it's a memory from, I don't know, a day ago or a week ago, it won't trigger us too badly. But don't worry if you do feel the parts start to get interested, right? Don't worry about that, right? But again, I want you to just think about the last time it happened, all right? Take yourself back there in your memory, all right? And then ask yourself these questions if you can, right? Ask yourself, was I calm, right? Answer no, but... I want you to write down on the right-hand side of the page, opposite the word calm, I want you to write down how this part feels. Right, so it's not calm, is it? Right, so what is it? Well, it might, you might say, well, it's panicky. Or you might say, well, it's high energy or it's, it's, um, it's crazy. You know, I mean, I don't know, but the point is the word has to make sense to you, right? And then I want you to go down through these words, keeping this memory in mind. Say, or was it, is this part clear? No, it's not really clear. Um, it has a, a very naive kind of view, so it's naive or it's confused or whatever word makes sense to you again. And go through the whole list, right? And once you've got eight words that describe the part, then you see you're starting to make a real distinction between your Christ consciousness, in other words, when your, your spirit is running your life, and this part, in other words, when your brain is running your life. And now the final part of the exercise is this, because we have to make sure that we keep removing that timeline. So what I want you to do is this. I want you to say, I am calm, clear, curious, 
creative, confident, courageous, compassionate and connected. But there's a part of me that is crazy, confused, certain, concrete, unconfident, cowardly, cold and disconnected. Now, obviously those, you know, put your own words in there. But do you see how you're really starting to dis make a distinction between you and your part? And that's what we need. Even though um, the ultimate aim is to disciple these parts and to get them to trust you, the first thing we need to do is actually separate ourselves a little more. And that is because we need to essentially know what it is we're integrating. You know, the first step of integration is separation. You need to really see clearly what it is that you're going to integrate or what you're going to uh, disciple. And so that's the exercise that I want you to try. And try it for different parts because you will notice as you get into this, you will notice uh, more parts. And we don't necessarily want to be looking at, you know, hundreds of parts or anything. But by the time you've got to, well, look at the disciples, there were 12 of them, right? You probably won't even get to 12. But by the time you get to, I don't know, four or five, you will already be making massive progress. But to make the progress, we have to not just recognise the parts, we have to disciple them. And to do that, we have to do what Jesus did. We have to do exactly what he did, but we have to do it inside as well as outside. So, I think I'll leave it there. I hope you get something from that exercise. And the next time I read from the book, um, we will be talking about how does behaviour change? What, does, what do we do uh, when we start practising this stuff and looking at Jesus and the disciples more closely? So we'll leave it there. Until then, bye for now.